Welcome everyone to another episode of my RPG podcast. And today I finished the set. All the Sladies, the Infinity Gauntlet of Sladies is complete thanks to having my guest Jess Reed. Jess is a big theatrical and musical nerd who got into TTRPGs virtually and is obviously with the Sladies crew. And we have quite a bit to talk about, obviously, the kind of transition between being a theater nerd and then getting to RPGs, the similarities and differences, obviously her work with Sladies, and then also just being a GM and running games and kind of reconciling with the fact that things usually don't go the way you want. This is a fantastic chat for players and GMs alike, so I hope you enjoy. The night's so black that the darkness hums. of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Jess Reed. Jess, will you please introduce yourself? Hello, I am Jess Reed. I uh, go by Bardic Bell in the Twitter sphere, uh, and my pronouns are she, her. And Jess here is going to be finishing my infinity gauntlet of uh, <laughs> Sladies. As any of you who've been following with me for quite some time have noticed, I'm a big fan of the Sladies, and I've had now with Jess every single cast member and i feel very accomplished so you are i, th I think technically the mind stone uh, is is i believe the last gem that thanos got uh, if you know it, internet nerds please correct me it could be it wouldn't it wouldn't be very reflective of my character in hunt for the heart shards but i'll take it <laughs> well you know before we launch into obviously your character and what you're doing currently let's go all the way back to the past using the time gem to get ourselves to your beginning in rpgs just what was your beginning in rpgs what's your first exposure like well i had a couple friends in high school who were like "Ooh, vampire the masquerade is so cool and i was like i guess it's cool i don't get it whatever fast forward uh i graduated from college i moved across the country and I was doing theater in Portland and in Portland I met a friend who was like I'm playing a 13th age game do you want to play and I was like I have no idea what that is I'm in and uh, it kind of spiraled from there so I actually started with 13th age uh, and from there we kind of took to exploring 5e um, I ended up moving back to New York partway through the campaign we were about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, and so we started playing online, but just me online. Everybody else was still, you know, in a living room in Portland. Uh, and then I was like, you know what? I think playing online could be better. And I kind of started poking around online, looking for uh, groups on Facebook, or uh, I actually did a couple of, like, looking for groups on Roll20. Uh, and I found a couple of fun people through there and I got a little bit more experience, a little bit more up on, you know, actual rules and things. Uh, and it kind of took off. So would you say you're kind of almost predestined to fall into RPGs and things like that, considering a kind of theatrical background that you told me about before we started recording? 
I definitely think so. I mean, it was a theater person who got me into RPGs. Uh, but it also, <laughs> it was also a theater person who got me into Sladies indirectly. Um, I have a, a friend, uh, he's known as Ye Old Dragon. Uh, I knew him from real life, uh, from theater. Uh, and he was like, hey, this group is doing Shakespeare. And so I signed up to do Shakespeare with What Streams May Come and Chaotic Tiefling. And I got picked. Ran it's a random selection. So I got chosen to be in... What was the first one I did? I don't even remember now. Oh, it was The Merry Wives of Windsor. Um, So I did the stream and we all went around, you know, at the end, uh, plugging ourselves and saying, you know, oh, you can find me here. And I was like, you can find me on Twitter, but I don't do anything. If you want me to do things, say hi. And uh, it was Nikki, who is one of the founders of Sladies, uh, who was like, hey, you want to play in this one shot I'm running? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do a one shot. And then they had open auditions for Hunt for the Heart Shards. And I was like, I love a magical girl. I'm going to go try out for this. I probably won't get picked, but I had fun. And then I got picked. So I guess, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like just as a convenient series of events kind of stumbling into place. Yeah, it was very just like, oh, I don't remember how I got here. Oh, theater. Right. So with your theater background then, I mean, was there a, like an easy onboarding process where you're like, oh, this playing, you know, a character, putting on a voice and yes, anding. I'm so used to this. I'm totally cool with working with an ensemble to, you know, do an accomplished task or something like that. Uh, yeah, to a certain extent, I think so. Um, I, <laughs> I have a group of people I do Shakespeare readings with, actually. Um, they're online, but they're, they're kind of just like hanging out and just doing Shakespeare. And one of my favorite things is doing voices and picking up random things to say in funny accents. Uh, so I, uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Hannah a Minnesota accent. Oh yeah. She's from, oh yeah. She's from Minnesota. She's from, yeah. And she's a stone giant. Oh, yeah, sure. She's she's huge, you know. And uh, <laughs> she kind of actually spiraled out of that accent into the character that she became. And I really like um, with people who play RPGs, there's a fun bit to where, you know, you can kind of make a character your own and, and go against type, especially because, you know, we can play whatever fantastical magical characters we do. So. My favorite things are when somebody, as opposed to doing like the stereotypical, well, I'm playing a dark brooding race, so I'm going to do this sort of pronunciation and do this sort of timbre and husk to my voice where they go, no, 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 let's, let's play completely against that. So I love the idea of taking, you know, Minnesota accents or stone giants and, you know, taking really, really big and loud bombastic voices or tra traits into tiny characters like halflings or pixies. That's always one of my favorite things to do. So, oh, uh, I, yeah, yeah for sure. No, well, uh, talking about playing against type, Hannah is seven foot three. And I'm 5'1", so it's like, I'm going to play the biggest girl in the world. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of beauty of arts and theater. And I mean, there's definitely some of that thanks to, uh, you know, 
being really, really cool directors, really cool casting um, agents or casting managers who allow you to play various different parts. But there's all the, obviously the physical, you know, um, expectations that come with certain roles. Whereas in our RPG worlds, you know, I've been at tables with people who play things so against what they are and sometimes what they are, which is totally fine too. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to have fun. You know, no one's fun is wrong as, as that phrase is. But it's really great because of this, you know, advent of the TTRPG space that we can do this thing to where we can play whatever we like as long as we imagine it. And our imaginations are usually better than most, you know, CG graphics. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Theater of the mind. Exactly. Theater of the mind. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you're right off the bat perfect to play bards. I mean, is that kind of right up your alley, like charismatic people? <laughs> so the the first character that I played in that 13th Age game, she was a rogue, um, but she might as well have been a bard. Like she was all like, I'm going to go sing and distract these people and create a diversion. And um, but so I was looking for new games online and I, I found uh, this person who became like my best friend. Uh, they were, it was a group called No Dudes on the Moon. And it was for, uh, women, trans people, non-binary people, basically not cisgendered men to play games together and find each other. And so they were like, I'm running a campaign. I've already got like three dudes. Is there anybody here who wants to play? And I was like, heck yeah, I'll come play. Why not? And so I ended up making this bard and I was like, oh, his name. This is funny. I'm going to name him Tyr Firestone. He's a dwarf and he's a bard. And it was just like the weirdest thing. And then I had so much fun. Um, I actually composed this. I say composed. I wrote a ballad um, kind of thing for them. The They were called the Dawnbringers. And so I wrote this whole thing based on each each character had a verse and I was like, I'm really leaning into this bard thing too much, maybe. But that is my, like, that's my username. It's been my username forever. It's Bardic Bell. And so I was just like, I'm going to go with it. I don't think there's ever any such thing as leaning too much into a bard thing. As a guy who's um, multiple times joked, but been very serious about, you know, if I ever get to be a uh, player, because I'm one of those hashtag forever DMs, um, I, I will gladly whip out my old my my guitar and I'll play the battle music during you know the fights in in real time and I'll you know give everybody a theme song and stuff like that because I'm such a fan of uh I, I think I think part of the the appeal of a bard character to me is is the fact that it's this uncharacteristic sort of idea for what an adventure would be you think the bard would be the chronicle you think that it would be you know the best friend or the sidekick who go out there and defeat the bad thing and I'll be here for quips and moral support. But uh, thankfully, in RPG systems, particularly in Dungeons & Dragons, the Bard can be one of the most powerful characters out there, but not because of just a magical item. Just through sheer <laughs> gumption, charisma, and through musical and artistic talent, which, man, isn't that so funny and so cool at the same time. Oh, I absolutely love it. No, it was funny because I was like, oh, I'll be a Bard. And then I was like, I have no idea how a Bard works. But... um the the, uh, the other people were much more, you know, experienced than me. And they were kind of like, well, if you do this and you do that. And it was um, it was funny because he's a dwarf. He has a movement speed of 25 feet. And I was always like, I'm falling behind. But I was like, OK, I can do this. I can figure this out. I'm going to sing this song and you're going to laugh and then you're going to fall down dead. It'll be perfect. 
So your love of bards and, and your love of uh, gaming really does pick up through the virtual tabletop space is, you know, obviously thanks to the you know advent of technology and the internet. And then as a pragmatic thing, obviously because of the coronavirus and things that we're still living through, it's been the way of gaming. Um, but I wonder, to, uh, do you, do you find that there's any sort of like disconnect or difficulties with doing those online games? And I, and I'm talking just like early on before you start streaming, cause that becomes a completely different conversation once you get you know streaming involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I was playing these online games pre-pandemic um, because I was trying to, you know, connect with my friends who were 3,000 miles away, uh, and they they hated it. They were like, oh, we, we have to set Jess up. We have to get her laptop up, and, you know, it was a whole thing. But then... Yeah, because you, you were the one uh, who wasn't there, right? You were, yeah. you were the odd man out in that case. Yeah, I was. Okay. And I was like, can you, like, angle the computer this other way so i can see this other person too and i was like oh can you stop crinkling the doritos bag oh my god and then pandemic i get this message from my the, the friend who was the dm and he's like so tell me about this roll 20 and i'm like ah ha ha now i will take over yes um and so for me like the transition really worked it it really worked for me because i i had already you know, built up to it. And it was, it was a necessity, but then like even not playing in zoom, even just doing voice, um, this, this game that I was playing and was on discord. We didn't bother looking at each other. Um, and it, it, it really forces you to pay attention. Um, I have also done a couple of pieces of theater, uh, virtually. Oh, excuse me. Um, uh, so I've also done theater virtually and i did a doll's house which i had originally auditioned for in person in like january and then we were going to start rehearsals march or april and it all fell to hell but we still did a virtual performance of it and i feel like there are things that you miss doing theater on zoom but there's also like you really get that close and personal touch strangely enough doing it that way because you can really look at this other person and you can really see kind of what's going in their brain and so you know playing in a, in a zoom game it really it really forces you to pay attention and and really listen to one another which is the biggest um i don't want to say rule but like that is that is the best thing to do in a, in a game like this, in an improv game, it's, you know, you said yes and, obviously, but it's it's listening. It's listening and reacting in a way that feels authentic in this inauthentic space, which... And that's actually a sign. I mean, for my, again, I'm not nearly as versed as you are in the theatrical world, stuff like that, but from a, my theater in high school and then my time being on, you know, film and television sets down here in Atlanta... Um, Two or three dozen of them, actually, funny enough, in various different roles. Um, nothing spectacular, you know. It's a lot, of, you know, stand in double and then BG and all, all that sort of stuff. But the, there's a kind of running joke about, you know, actors who don't listen, who are kind of like, you know, bullshit, 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 my line, bullshit, 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 my line. And you can kind of see them check out. And, you know, while you might be able to get away with that maybe in film and television because of the, you know, cuts and the angles and, you know, sometimes, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, the manipulation and, you know, you know, like, okay, well, they're probably not going to be looking at me for the shot, so I can kind of check out and not react. In improv and in theater and now in D&D or any RPG system, you can't do that to a person if you're role-playing with them because that does send a, not only is it unprofessional, but also it kind of sends the message that you don't care about the person's character or their, their, their arc or their moment. And that, that is horrible for cohesion with the group, which mm-hmm. with the internet makes it also still a little bit difficult with these screens that we're using. Yes, yes and no, because I feel like, well, like I said, you know, I, I do play some games even without the screen. Um, so we're just looking at like the battle map or whatever. And there have been times I have zoned out and I'm like, maybe that is a reflection on me because I always felt guilty about it afterwards. And I'm like, why am I not engaged? It really made me think um, because it, it, it I'm trying to think how to say it forced me to look at myself and what was I not getting out of this game that made me kind of zone out a little. And so that was something I could bring to the DM and be like, hey, when these two guys start talking about the difference between uh, a bonus action and a free action for 20 minutes, I can't, I can't be here. And so, you know, it, it informs me as a player of like, what am I really looking for in this game? Um, so I, you know, it, it helps me pay attention to others, but it also helps me pay attention to myself, which I feel like is a lot harder to do when you're all just kind of slumped around on, on couches around the coffee table. That is an interesting perspective to have about that. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, again, as one of those forever GMs, the fact that you'll come to your dungeon master, he, she, or they, and say like, Hey, look, in these situations, I'm checking out or in these situations, I'm not as invested. Because I think the hardest challenge, and I, I, I don't know, have you ever had the opportunity to be on the other side of the mm-hmm. screen, Jess? Yeah, I have. Okay, so 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 then then you can kind of uh, relate here with me when I say this. Like, one of the hardest things about a game is is figuring out early on when you especially have a new group is what sort of game you want to play and what brings everybody to the table virtually or you know IRL, because. One person might be super big into Diablo and World of Warcraft and love the meta game of it, love the doing high damage and, you know, getting awesome weapons and loot. And the other person might not be interested in any of that and wants to play with their pseudo dragon familiar with a Brooklyn accent who likes to be really salty and really mean. So then, you know, they have back and forth and somebody might be in between of those two, you know, extremes. So like you're trying to figure out as a GM what sort of game keeps everybody happy and through the you know, use of usually body language and context clues, you can tell. But obviously, now that we have this interface between us, I know for myself personally, you know, if my guys and gals aren't having their, you know, video cameras on for, you know, many reasons, you know, I, I'm kind of shoot, shot in the dark here. I'm like, I hope they're reacting positively. Like, I, I I can't tell, but I hope. So that's really awesome that you went to your GM and was like, hey, in these types of situations, I'm not interested. And, you know, what can we do about that or what do I need to do about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I definitely have had that experience on the other side as well as a uh, I am in the middle of uh, running a Monster of the Week game right now. And so this this DM friend is in my game. But I, I always say to them, I said to them, you don't write episodes. You write epics. They are really very focused on this big overarching story and and i'm like here's your monster have fun and uh it's really important to me because you can also 
do a big epic story, whatever system you're playing, and you can do a fun little episodic thing, whatever you're playing. And so it's it's really fun to me to see how different people play different games differently, you know? Um, and so I had uh, I had a player come to me and be like, hey, this other person's character makes me uncomfortable. And I was like, hmm, okay, let's figure this out. And, you know, I I always say this in job interviews, it sounds so tacky, but I love feedback. I want to talk about what's right and what's wrong. Um, and that's actually one of the things I really love that Nikki does when running Slady's games. Um, we always have this, like, it's a bit of a decompression after the session, but we go around and we all say something that we did that we liked. Um, whether it was something you said or a cool spell or whatever it was. Uh, and then we go around again and we say something that somebody else did that we thought was awesome. And to me, that is so, it's so cool. It's, it's not, that doesn't really, it, it, it's new. It's not expected. And it really means a lot, I think, to, to people who want to play games that everybody is enjoying, you know? So like, yeah, if you all want to go have a have a game that is just like trawling dungeons and killing goblins and, you know, getting all the good loot, that's great. That's not the game I want to play. So we have to have that conversation. And if it's not working, we need to figure out the solution. And so it's just, it's something I, I love so much about about Sladies and, and the, the mindset that they have about these games and, and the inclusivity and, you know, listening to people in game and out of. I mean, I can't stress how much I really enjoy Nikki and April and all of the crew over there. Um, you guys have such a positive approach and to hear about things like that is also really heartening because, uh, you know, to, 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 to think that, to think that you guys spend the time to, you know, acknowledge each other, say what you liked and, appreciated about each session and things like that. that that's really really good when it comes also to creating a uh, a good atmosphere a good welcoming inclusive sort of approach to uh, a table and you also segue perfectly for me just to talking about the difference in when you're playing a you know still digital home game or with friends and then saying like okay well this is stream content so what's, what's that change like what's different there in that approach woof okay um I find myself looking at myself a lot on Zoom. I have become self-conscious of how I appear on stream, which is like the most narcissistic thing to say, honestly. But I'm like, is my lighting okay? Is my hair okay? What's going on here? Should I wear the wig tonight? I don't feel like wearing the wig. And I'm like, it suddenly has become a theatrical performance. It's it's tech. It's costume. It's so much more um than this game and it it kind of threw me the first couple of times um so that first time i had ever done streaming was doing shakespeare it was it was what streams may come and i was like okay this is fine and then playing the one shots and then getting into the hunt for the heart shards and to me that it it feels elevated i think and there has to be a, 
a careful balance, I think, with, with streamed games between we're just going to have fun and it's going to be a riot and maybe there'll be some dick jokes and maybe we'll go, I don't know, steal a baby, whatever. And then you have to consider your audience when you're streaming. You have to consider, you know, inside jokes or relatable content. And like, yeah, obviously it doesn't need to be relatable to a hundred percent of the people every time, but you want to make sure that there is that give and take, um, because the audience is right there. It's the difference between live theater and film. The audience is right there and they'll tell you things in chat. <laughs> they'll, they'll let you know if they like something or if they don't, you know, uh, we have a, a wonderful, uh, Sladies member, Jill, who was doing all these gifts and it was like, holy crap, they just care that much. And they were taking clips and, and reacting and, you, I feel like I've rambled completely in three different directions, but there's just so much more to what it what it really is when you're streaming. No, I mean you're you're not rambling at all. It's all kind of tying to the fact that it is a different beast, right? When you know you're making something for others, when you know you know it's the difference between dress rehearsal, the rehearsal, and obviously the the day of, and you know the show itself, and. You 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 know that at the same time, like it should feel like home and it should feel casual and fun. But at the same token, you also know, like I am being watched. I there is an expectation. We are trying to push a narrative or an overarching story, and like what would fly, you know, around the table or around the virtual table with my friends while you know I pop out real quick to you know grab a pizza or a coke and I come back in. Maybe I can't pull here because that's not good pacing that's not good you know, entertaining you know content so um yeah i can't imagine that not being weirdly different so don't feel bad about trying try, having a hard time trying to like say it uh because even in the small spare you know cameo things i've done for my friends who stream and things like that like yeah it changes me now that i was thinking about it and also on the narcissism thing a thousand percent I'm looking at my box image in whichever, you know, Skype or Zoom <laughs> or whatever. I'm a thousand percent looking at my box image and being like, oh, man, how am I looking while I'm saying this thing? Or, oh, man, how's my light? Oh, man, I'm, am I the guy who like, has the blasted out white lighting? I got to do something about that real quick or else it's going to look dumb on camera. Like, I, I, I'm also doing the same thing, so don't feel bad. Um, but, yeah, so would would you say then with the, the comparison, obviously, we can bring back to theater. Would you say streaming – the fact that you have that live chat going, do you think it makes you more cognizant or self-conscious or less? Because at least it's not them in the theater directly looking at you. It's, you know, generic Twitch user 2077 saying <laughs> something, right? I think it makes me more cognizant of them and, and of myself because it, it is also different because in in theater, you are looking at them and they are looking directly. Like sometimes, depending on the space, they are like inches from you. Uh, <laughs> sidebar, uh, my dad fell asleep when I was in a performance of Amadeus in a black box that had round seating. And, uh, I was just kind of looking wait, at him. Which, which role were you playing by oh, chance? Oh, I was, I was von Strach. I was the pompous German who didn't <laughs> like Italians, which is funny because I am Italian a little bit. So, but <laughs> my dad fell asleep. <laughs> Your dad was asleep. He was, he was there, his <laughs> arms were crossed, his head was down. And I'm like, you are three feet from the actors. But. The, the thing about being live as opposed to being on stream is that if your hair goes a funny direction, it's over. Or if you trip, 
it's over. They they don't have it. But like I said, like people like Jill who are clipping all these wonderful things, it's like, oh God, oh God, what is going to end up in a clip? I <laughs> I had a cat puke on stream during Once Lady's episode. I had my little background camera, uh, my background behind me hanging, and I hear this noise, and I pull aside the curtain just slightly to look, and not realizing that you could see that gap on the screen, and there's the cat, and he just kind of looks at me and then pukes, and everybody was like, oh no, poor kitty, and I was just like, oh dang, that just happened puking kitty on stream but you will never forget that i think that that, that's the positive you can take you'll never forget that yep they made a clip of it it's it's there on the internet for everybody to see forever (laughs) ah the beauty of the internet nothing is ever truly gone so i want to i want to know now since you didn't mention you being a gm uh, yourself um, what was the kind of uh, call to action for that transition? Was it something to where you're like, hey, I think I can do this, or I really want to tell the story and run you know, the show, so to speak? I think it was definitely, hey, yeah, I think I can do this. Uh, it was in that in-between time where I was like searching for games to play, and I had done a few through Roll20 that had kind of, lived for a few weeks or a couple of months and then they fizzled uh and i was like yeah f it can i swear on your podcast i don't know uh you absolutely can because i believe i said bullshit like 60 times okay true okay yeah so i said "Eh, fuck it uh and uh i'll just run my own game why not and since i was more familiar with 13th age i started it as a 13th age game and that was a mistake because Nobody knew what 13th Age was, apparently. Um, but I had this this story in mind, and I really feel like this first foray into uh, running a game really taught me a lot. Like, it really made me think about what do I want from players and what do these players need from me. I was pretty rules-light in terms of, like, you know, can I do this thing? Can I do that thing? I was flexible in, um, I don't know if you know 13th age at all, but there's backgrounds. You get backgrounds instead of skills. And what you do is you say to the GM, well, I'm going to try to do X, Y, Z. And they say, okay, roll your charisma, whatever it is. And they say, I have this particular background. Can I add that to my check? And there's a lot of people who will come up with a lot of weird reasons why that particular background applies to that check. And I was just kind of like, yeah, all right, go with it. Whatever. I don't care. But there were other things that in terms of like storytelling and engagement and just kind of working with this group of players, most of whom I didn't know personally beforehand, um... It really made me reflect on, like, what is the story that you're trying to tell, and does it matter if part of it gets left out? Excuse me. Um, So does it really matter if it gets left out? You know, it's... It was... It kind of... It did fizzle. It went on for, like, two years we were playing this game, and part of my frustration was that they weren't making decisions... And so I kind of had to learn how to make their decisions for them. 
Um, and I feel like now I have a better sense of plot hooks and pacing and how to keep things moving because I saw what did or didn't work. Um, and I feel like the biggest thing that I learned as a DM was improv. Just go with it. And so this Monster of the Week game that I'm running now, <laughs> they have taken me for some twists. I, I do the preparation that the book says most of the time. I will set up the the monster. I will kind of have my, like, sunset, dusk, twilight, whatever. I never make it to midnight. I never plan that far ahead because they're just going to do what they're going to do. They took me to an electric substation and I was like, I don't even know what happens at an electric substation except that there's wires and things. I don't know. There's a big fence around it. How do you get in the fence? Like, at this point, I say, this is what is happening. What do you do? And that works so much better for me as a GM. I'm just like, let's just go with it. I can't. I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to have a decision made for you because obviously it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think so. I mean, and there's quite a few things we could hit on the things you brought up that you learned. I think the number one thing you learn is uh, to have 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 uh, less and less ego about what grand arc story you want to tell or what, you know, thing you envision the session to be because, you know, it's that it's that old saying that, you know, uh, the greatest plans immediately, you know, all fall to the wayside as soon as first contact happens or, you know, you get punched in the mouth or, you know, whatever variation that quote is. So, yeah, as soon as your players start rolling or talking or interacting, whatever you had planned usually goes out the window. So you learn to be very resilient. You learn to be very adaptable and very uh, reactive. As, uh, but at the same time, though, I like you, uh, I think you brought up a, a salient point, too, is. Also understanding when to kind of step in and be like, all right, well, this isn't a hundred percent, you know, free flow. This isn't whatever goes like I have to create some sort of tempo. I have to create some sort of momentum over, over, you know, overarching sort of structure, even within the madness, you know, controlled chaos to get us there. So, so with doing that and, and having done that for a little bit of time now, I mean, would you say you don't have to, well, this is, I don't want to ask a leading question. How much more prep or less prep do you do than, when you started i just want to know that how about that oh way less way less for that first game i was like i'm gonna make a map of the city and i'm going to know exactly where each of these points are that i think that they will hit in order to figure out what happened to this guard captain and i'm gonna label it and it's gonna be beautiful and i'm gonna have all these npcs ready to go they're gonna have names they're gonna have and they skipped town they were like ah we're in trouble. I don't want to handle the fallout. We're going to leave. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. And so I was, I had a whole Google Drive folder with pictures and images, and I was going to make tokens for everything. And for Monster of the Week, I'm like, here's a map of the city. I don't know. Leave it or take it, you know? And I was like, I've got it from Google Maps. It's this city in Washington. Go. Have fun. Yeah, and, and and to be 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 very very honest here, it's not like we're apathetic when we do these things as dungeon masters. It's oh, no. just like 
we 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 know that you know we'll have to react and improv you know seventy percent of it anyway. So we're just going to say like, all right, let's let's put down the facade. Where are you going to go? Okay, cool. Let's run. Let's run it. Let's mm-hmm. go. Yeah. No. Well, and part of the reason I really like Monster of the Week is that it does lend itself to that. Like, I yes, I will have to stat out whatever monster they're fighting. Like they fought a bat squatch, and so I was like, well, the bat squatch only comes out you know, at night, and it's this right reaction when that happens, and it does this much damage, and it can take this much damage, but I wasn't like, first you have to talk to this detective, then you have to talk to the victim's sister, and then you have to go here and here, and I was like, this is where the Bat Squatch was seen. What do you do? So, so are you saying Bat Squatch or Squash? Because <laughs> I had an image of a gigantic Bat Squash, and I was like, naturally, it uses echogortation. That's what I would say. <laughs> no, no, it is a bat squatch, like a sasquatch. Ah, but a got bat. it. All right. Well, as long as I got my dad joke pun in there, I still feel good. <laughs> very nice. Very good. Yeah, no, I was like, mm, this is ridiculous. Let's do it. Yeah, and I think the um, important thing that you have kind of going for you with that structure there is like by the virtue of the 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 the, the genre everybody kind of anticipates that things are going to get kind of wrapped neatly and like everything's going to get pushed forward and one of my favorite things uh, when i was uh, taking a small break from gming for a bit was listening to my players who kept playing a game in a different system called fate and they ended up using uh, a, a kind of a x files you know, government GI sort of paranormal investigators in the 19, you know, 50s after the war, alternate history sort of thing. And I enjoyed the hell out of it because naturally, uh, Brad, the GM who's running that game was like, all right, well, you know, we only have X amount of weeks until we're back to our D&D game. So just be prepared that this is going to be like an episodic monster of the week sort of thing. And it was so fun to listen to because you could just tell that everybody was on board with, they knew what the, the genre was, they knew what the play was. So it made games run so much smoother and so much nicer. And I was like, sort of envious while listening to these games, you know, because I'm like, geez, like, because, you know, our game had been going at the time three and a half years. Now we're looking at four years of just this one campaign. So I'm like, yeah, that's way more different. It must be way nicer than this crazy potential, you know, four-year, 20th level arc that I've been working on, which, you know, knock on wood, I'll 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 potentially get to uh, finish, wrap up maybe in the next, you know, three to six months. So, yeah, it, that that's just a smart way to do it too. Is if if you're frustrated with the kind of inaction, or you're frustrated with them not kind of uh, following uh, your your uh, ultimate story, then kind of condense your story and kind of force it to be this digestible thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I have this kind of like vague idea of what the overarching story is for the game, but you know the the characters came up with these relationships with people in town who were supposed to, you know, be there for five minutes. And so now I'm like, oh, well, the lady, the old lady who lives in this trailer park, who you have somehow decided is your, like, adopted grandma, has now become an important plot point. Like, she was just there for flavor or whatever, and now she's now she's essential to the story. Okay. And... I like that. I like when the the players help build the world and and I like that as a player. I want to have that that stake in the game. I feel like I saw something on Twitter a while ago and it was like, "Do you think 
players who don't want to help build the game are lazy or are the GMs lazy for wanting their help or something like that. And I'm like, to me, it's collaborative storytelling. It's collaborative. And I love, like, I recently learned how to play For the Queen with the marvelous pen, uh, plus one pen of smiting. And to me, that is, that is TTRPG essentialized. It's, it's collaborative storytelling. We're getting together. We're building the world together. We're building the story. And so that first game that I ran, I came in and I was like, here's the story, get through it. And now I'm much more like, well, this is what's going on in the world. What are you going to do about it? You know, and I, I feel like that makes for, I, I feel like that makes for a much more engaging game for both me and the players. And what's interesting is I had to, I had to pull it up to credit because I wanted to make sure I got this quote right. Um, it's akin to a Michelangelo quote, actually, when he talks about sculptures to where he says the, uh, the angel, in the case of the sculpture he was creating, he goes, the angel is in the slab. All I did was just, you know, knock away the superfluous stuff, the things that doesn't need to be there. It's this idea that like the story is there. It's just you, while you guys play your session, you guys and gals, sorry, uh, are playing your session, you kind of create, you know, whatever that end result is going to be. So don't, don't necessarily feel like, uh, you know, you as the creator have to have the idea of what the end result is going to be. Just having your players talk and just having them all of a sudden love that NPC, that grandma, now it's like, oh, no, actually, this is a story about grandma's history coming back to her. And maybe she has, you know, dark past or maybe she ends up being a, an amazing adventurer who collects relics and rarities. And she has the keys to all the things you're looking for. Like whatever they bring to you, it kind of knocks away at this rough idea. And then you get the beautiful thing on the inside. So I think that's a, you know, that's another beautiful uh, thing about this game, about this kind of thing that we love, this hobby that we fall in love with is it can be so many things that feel like they're discombobulated and disjointed, but then somehow in the end, another thing we do, and and this is kind of a, a second thought I had, is regardless of how random everything seems, we naturally, who have been watching and consuming content for however long we've been alive, and as a species and as you know, a civilization for tens of thousands of years, make stories of things. We make poetry of things. So many times at my table have the dice rolls gone in very strange ways, but then after the things happen, I go, damn, isn't it ironic that your character like failed to do this thing, you know, two, three times because of, you know, random chance, but then they succeed at the most opportune time when they've had like a character break in moment. And I'm like, the, the kind of dice was the narrative. The story was the narrative itself, despite the fact that these were all random events. Like I... I, you know, this is one of those things that uh, kind of gave me solace recently. Um, if I can, if I expound a little bit, you know, my, my game I was just talking about, which has been going for years now, I'm getting a great deal of imposter syndrome about how to end it. Because it's either, you know, going to end when they go, you know, level 20 and save the multiverse or, you know, end before the multiverse is saved and everything's doomed. And there's a part of me that's like, can I make anything that's going to be anywhere close to feeling satisfactory for this ending? Can I potentially like you know i'm having this great imposter syndrome and you know one of the other guys was just telling me he goes like we've bought in already like we've been playing with you for six years this campaign for four years like we've bought in and we don't know because we're not in your mind at how you know duct tape and you know stucco and you know glued together this all is in our mind this is brilliant this is great so just go for it and don't feel bad and like we'll find the beauty in it at the end even if it ends in you know a total party kill and that was such a relief for me is this idea that like 
kind of trust your players to also um, that that if they come to your table, if they you know enjoy the game or if they keep playing, that like they're invested in you're doing good, you're fine. Yeah. You're, 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 yeah. No, for sure. And it's so funny you talking about you know dice roll failure, dice roll failure, and and I I don't remember where this phrase came from, but I heard this phrase once, and I just kind of latched onto it, and it's failing forward. What does that failure mean story-wise? Like, yeah, it means you didn't knock the orc down, you know, uh, with a ma- magnificent swing of your great axe. What does it mean? Why Why did you miss? What does that create story-wise? And that, that to me, I think, is the essence of role-playing. It's the yes and, or the no, but, so you did. You missed the mark, but what did you do instead? You know, and 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 that to me is just ah, that's my favorite thing. Fail forward. Yeah, I think we were we're. I, I'll say the word blessed, not with a religious connotation, but just because I, I feel like it's the closest thing to it. I think we're kind of blessed with the fact that like we have an open and more inclusive space that we can play in now, which. It's totally fine with that because I, I know many people who've been playing this game now, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And usually they're people who I go to at the conventions and I love to chat with. I mean, I'll chat with anybody about RPGs, but I'm really interested in uh, particular about people who have now seen the change throughout the years of the state of RPGs as this, you know, hobby, art, whatever you want to start calling it nowadays uh, kind of evolves thanks to the advent of streaming, thanks to the advent of the Internet, thanks to the push of inclusivity and diversity in our um, games now is is to kind of see how we are also in one of these weird cases in life where everybody has super judgmental view and wants you to make profit or make, you know, something that's great or serves the capitalistic society that we uh, live in. Um, this is a thing that's completely collaborative, creative, should be non-judgmental and open to taking risks and swinging and making a fool of yourself because we're all at the table doing the same thing and we're there to support you. Yes, yes, 100% yes. I mean, there are there are people who go out there and they they want to win D&D and I'm like that's not how this works. Yeah, you can get all the nat 20s in the world, but what did you do with them? Like what was the end result? Did you did you kill everything and now you are a legendary hero? Maybe. But, you know, I have this paladin character. He he doesn't want to save the world anymore. He wants to go home and spend time with his wife. Like that's his that's him winning at D&D. <laughs> it has nothing to do with dice rolls. It's just the, what gets in the way of that. And there isn't anything wrong also. I just wanted to make this known. Obviously, I've told my uh, people on the podcast who listen, I'm the guy who veers more on the role play side than on the mechanics side. You know, I'm kind of a 60s, 60, 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of more on the role play side person. But there is nothing obviously wrong with really wanting to loot and kill and feel good and feel powerful and feel strong. And if anything, because of my, you know, tendency to yes and more than no but, um, you know, I've got overpowered mechanics and classes and things like that. But my, my, my personal perspective is that like if you really came down to you wanting to do raw numbers and raw damage and things like that, video games are way better. <laughs> you know, honestly, like way better combat simulators, way cooler bosses, way cooler type mechanics and min-maxing number crunching stuff. Because at the table, 
I, I don't think that relates the same way. I don't think there's a, a tabletop system that is going to ever be as good as, you know, Diablo if you want to do looting, you know, and, and hoarding and, or, you know, friggin' Dark Souls if you want to be super hardcore, like elite, get good skill. Like, that, that's, there's, there's things that do it better. I think TTRPGs have to be a community storytelling device. No, I, I absolutely agree. And like, yeah, if that's the game that you want to play, you are welcome to play it, but, I'm probably not going to want to join. So, like, people, you know, talking about, like, being super good at video games, and uh, that is so much of what streaming is. And we had Nikki crocheting a baby blanket and streaming Cinderella Phenomenon. And that, to me, was just like, yes, these are my people. And so nikki is now on maternity leave she just had her lovely baby a week ago um and so now i'm streaming on monday nights and i was like okay i'm gonna play minecraft and i'm gonna fall into lava and die and i'm gonna hit my friend with a with a stick like to me it's just i'm bad at video games so for me to want to stream a video game it's not about the stats. It's not about that, you know, that that DPS, which which is a an abbreviation I learned only in the last like six months <laughs> from other friends who are far better at it. So, you know, I I think there is there is space for for all of us different types. But they were like, you should come play World of Warcraft, and I was like, ah, no. <laughs> No, I would be so bad. Why? Do, no, you don't want me. I don't think there's uh, necessarily any any perfect system. Obviously, and I know I've had multiple people on on here that do various different systems as well. So you know, I, I don't. Obviously, D and D is this giant monolith that we all um, have to kind of acknowledge when we talk in the RPG sphere. So I, I think I think the other beauty of um, of of this hobby is the fact that there's something customizable or there's something you can add or to, to take away from any 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 game you like which makes it also customized to you cuz i think uh, one one of the cooler things about um this the, this hobby that we enjoy so much is the fact that like it's a lot about the self i know i just spent a lot of times talking about how much it's about the group and the party and things like that but a lot of the focus and a lot of the joy of it is the fact that it's your character you're creating, your world you're creating, your voice is, you know, or your typing or whatever, you know, method of communication, your hand signals and motions, if you're, you know, uh, somebody who uses ASL, uh, is conveying your emotion. And then that taking that personal stake in what you do, I think is also so rewarding and it makes it way more interesting because, you know, the joke is, you know, uh, uh, people, you know, whenever anybody wants to talk to you about an RPG, then they go, Oh, well, let me tell you about my character for three hours, which I totally get because as somebody who has an RPG podcast, I want to hear about your character for, you know, an hour and an hour and a half at a time or, you know, your, your game an hour and a half at a time because I get it. I get that same feeling too. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, that's really what I love too is that it, it really helps you explore these different, okay. RPGs are not therapy, but it can really help you like explore these different parts of yourself and like what what motivates this person and what part of me drew me to that motivation, you know? Like I played this 
this bard and now I'm playing a paladin and it's like, whoa, these are very different people, but they all came from me, you know? And so it's like, it's, it, it is very much, you know, it, it is your story, whether you, you know, are the, the DM or the, the player, it is, it's all part of you. And, and, you know, and that, that comes back to the acting thing, you know, it's, it's being truthful in untruthful circumstances. That's what they always pounded uh, when I was in college. And I think I think that rings true for <laughs> true uh, for RPGs as well, you know, and maybe your circumstances are that there's a bouncy castle invaded by pixies and they're going to absorb your children into fairyland or something. I don't know. But it's still being truthful in that ridiculous, truthful, untruthful situation. Yeah, I mean, so so this is a, a topic that actually has come quite a, a bit of uh, times on the various episodes that I've had, which is this talk and this conversation about it being a safe space for either therapy or therapeutic sort of sessions or at least just an escape from reality. And, you know, it, is there... Are we ever making a game with that intent? I mean, I'm certain, you know, whichever RPG creator hasn't done that with that intent, but it's still a vehicle to where you have, you know, X amount of people in at least an hour. Usually most sessions I hear are two to three hours. So an extended period of time together to where you you can't not start to get emotionally involved and maybe comfortable with trying new things. So I, I think it's very interesting that so many times people brought that up because why not my intent? And while never my um, initial idea of what the hobby was, you know, now that I've been doing a lot of soul searching and looking out back as I'm about to, you know, celebrate my six year anniversary of being a GM and DM was uh, I realized very early on, I was like, wait a minute. So I'm, you know, a refugee of a war torn country. The very first story I told in my very first campaign was a refugee story about, you know, and then what do you do with the people and how does that affect the economy and that struggle? And I was like, and then I started looking at all the characters and, you know, I'm sure you've heard this thing that every character is really just a, a dimension of yourself, a reflection of yourself. So as a dungeon master, yeah, and as a dungeon master, you're all the characters. So that means every character is a dimension of myself. So I started having a hard look about like, okay, so that's this version of me and that's this version of me and this is me working through this thing in my life and this is me hoping like in this situation, this was different. So in, instinctively, I... I I was already sub not subjecting. I was projecting my own beliefs and wants and desires and my also like more gray and, you know, there is no perfect answers in life and, you know, politics are a horrible dark place where nobody doesn't get mud on them sort of thing in my campaigns. So it, it's, it's almost like the, um, and I know this is a transition. We don't have to go there, but it's almost like the argument about, you know, don't make X, Y, Z, you know, political, don't make movies or video games or whatever political. I'm like, that's impossible. The same way you can't really play too, too many games where it's completely not having some sort of aspect of yourself in it. I, I don't think you can write an RPG adventure long term. I'm sure you can do like a one shot and a couple of things like that. But eventually you're going to start having something that a, a part of yourself in the game. No, I, I absolutely agree. And well, I could. I Yeah, I think let's stay away from the like, quote unquote, politics. But I I do feel like in the long term there's gonna be something that just it sticks in your craw <laughs> whether it's good or bad or 
there's just going to be something in that game that's going to mean something to you. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the friends we made along the way or whatever, you know, and just getting to know these other people that you're playing with in a different way than you would if you were, you know, just hanging out and having coffee occasionally. Um, yeah, well, it's funny. I made it. I had a realization. I was like, damn, I play a lot of clerics. And part of me was like, well, I like having all those spells that I can just kind of pick and choose from every day. You know, um, I like the, the balance between being a, a fighter and being a spellcaster. And I could look at it very objectively. And then I was like, oh, all of my clerics and paladins have very troubled relationships with their gods. Hmm. <laughs> what does that say about me? You know, and but then there's, you know, my dumb bard who's like, wait, wait, wait. It's about me now. Hold on. Let me get my instrument. You know, which is, is that actor part of me that's like, wait, 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 I gotta put on a show. And then I combined them and I had a cleric of Dionysus who was like, let's drink wine and do theater, bitches. Woo! It's all there. It's, it's all there and it always will be, whether you want it to be or not, I think. If you, if you are playing this character long enough, you'll get there. And we've done a perfect sort of end cap circle, closing the circle about hedonistic bards, right? Kind of where we started <laughs> and where we got to. So Jess, if people want to follow you and hear more about you or to see the things you're up to, what's the best method of contact? Uh, probably Twitter, I would say. Uh, so again, it is Bardic Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Uh, I'm on Twitter most of the, most days. I don't always post things. I retweet things, but, um, I'll let you know if I'm doing something. Um, I am a part of Sladies ATL. As I mentioned, I am doing Monday nights, uh, streaming Minecraft shenanigans, nonsense. It's chaos. Um, and at Sladies, I was in Hunt for the Heart Shards and also from the Siren Song with Love and a couple of one shots. So keep an eye on the Sladies Twitter. You'll also find information about me on there. Uh, and if you're on Long Island, Come see Romeo and Juliet. I play like five different characters. <laughs> and of course, you're listening to the My RPG podcast, which can be found on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. If you want to send an email to us, it's MyRPG, M-Y-R-P-G podcast at gmail.com. If you want to see my personal Twitter, that would be Classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table.